they made a game of this one late. They pulled uh, within two off of Jorge Lopez, but that is ultimately as far as they went while they did lose this game. And there's a number of not so great things to discuss. Bassett's less than optimal start, we'll say. Kiermaier's back injury, the magnifying glass being put on Dalton Varsho midway through this one in a, a negative fashion. Brandon Belt not lugging it out to, to, to uh, first there. We got to all of it. We will, but... It was somewhat nice for me to see the Jays scratch out seven runs. You wish they could have done it a little sooner and perhaps in a different fashion, but it was nice to see them do that after seeing them not do it for so many games in the past, let's say two weeks. Yeah, it, it is an offensive performance that they frankly just haven't had in many games. But like you said, I mean, to a certain extent, it should have come sooner to a certain extent. They were really put behind the eight ball and, you know, just their luck and the way they're playing recently, they've, had really good starting pitching even throughout a lot of the losses recently. Today, not one of those days, and it doesn't line up for him. That is Ben Shulman. I'm Show Ali. Welcome to Jay's Talk on the Sportsnet Radio Network, streaming live on sportsnet.ca. We're taking your calls and texts. Phone lines are open. 416-870-0590. 590 star 590 on your cellular device. 590-590 is where you can text us. That's the people's text line. And it is hopping today, Ben. It's, oh, yeah. It's hopping, as you might imagine. Yeah, I could have guessed that one. <laughs> oh, man. It's 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 a shame because there, there are a handful of positive things you can take out of this. And I will say one of the most obvious ones right away and I think it looks like uh, Andrew in London agrees. He says, uh, to me, it's time to lock up Bo long-term. He is the superstar to lock up between him and Vladdy. Sorry, Vladdy has that one great year in non-major league parks. Other than that, Bo has outplayed him significantly. He has been wonderful. There is no two ways about it. Bo Bichette has been absolutely phenomenal today. Had the home run, a triple, uh, another hit very late in this one in the top of the ninth inning. You and I were talking during the game that, you know, when the game come, when it comes right down to it, you want your best bats making the deciding plays and Bo is the team's best bat. And he did make another positive deciding play in this one, even though the game did not go the blue Jays way. It is. I think we're at the point now where perhaps not beyond reproach, because perhaps no players beyond reproach, no matter what they do, but Bo has been absolutely just sublime. I would say, yeah, I, I would, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a place of free thought and free speech, but I would implore the text line <laughs> next time he makes an error that maybe now it's not the time to, uh, anymore to, uh, to talk about whether he can play on this team every day. But I, I will say on the note of his contract, positive and negative as the season goes on positive, they locked him up to a three-year deal before the season. They already had three years of arbitration, but right. hey, he would be asking for more money next year than probably they're going to end up paying him, which is a win for general managers and presidents because, wow, is he even in a different category than maybe we considered he was before the year. Yeah. I would say the good and bad news, I do think the Blue Jays absolutely want to lock up Bobachet long-term for essentially whatever he wants. I would say the bad news is with everything that happened this offseason, there's absolutely no reason that he should not go to free agency if you're talking about personal financial gain in the next three years. There were multiple shortstops paid into their forties with contracts that started with threes and fours and ended in hundreds of millions of dollars. So I, I do think they want him. I, I, oh, yeah. that clear. I, I would say if Bo Bichette sat down with him tomorrow and said, I want the, the 12, 13 year, whatever, you know, Tatis deal or whatever, or the Rodriguez deal. I, I think the blue Jays would sign it, but I think Bo is probably 
going to continue to hold out for even who knows what contracts will look like in three years. Yeah, boy, no kidding. I think I do think the Bobichet deal probably starts with a four. Yeah. At this point, I mean, a lot of the other major young guys in the league, their deals also start with four. So if you in shortstop is a premium position as well. So oh, yeah. all, all that being being said, I think you are going to lock up Bo long term. You're probably right that it probably gets closer to free agency, but you got to think that Ross Atkins and company are discussing locking him up long term because there's I, a real good chance he's going to end up as one of the franchise all time greats when it's all I, said and done. I think they're discussing it. I just don't think there's any reason he wants. I just, I mean, it's a topic slightly for another day, but I don't think there's any reason Bo Bichette wants to sign a contract before he's a free agent. Like, no, I, yeah, I just think. Yeah. And I mean, to get even deeper, like it's not like he you know, is implored because it will drastically change his life. And he uh, certainly he would take the money, but he comes from a background where his father was a multiple time all-star and pretty well played paid player too. So he can afford to make risks that other guys might not make because an injury could drastically change their financial future. He's pretty solid. Even if, you know, the three-year contract he makes right now is all the money he would ever make. And that's far from the truth. Yeah, Boba again, a major factor in all Blue Jays games, it would yes. seem, but a home run, a triple, and a single. So actually ending the day, a, a double shy of the cycle, although it did come, the single came in the top of the ninth inning. So unless the game went to, uh, you know, several extra innings, it pretty, seemed pretty unlikely he was going yeah. <laughs> to get there. Uh, look, we're, we can talk about a lot of things today because I think Bo's play is perhaps the only major positive you can really take out of this one. I am happy that Dalton Varsho got a late game home run, if only to take some of the pressure off, but ultimately he is going to be under the magnifying glass, whether fairly or unfairly for some of the situations that went on in earlier in the game, at the very least when he was shifted over to center. And the reason he was shifted over to center, Ben, is because Kevin Kiermeyer left this game due to a back injury, they're calling it a back right lower back discomfort, which is very specific. And we'll see if John Schneider says anything to the media in a little little while when he finishes his availability. But with the Kiermaier back injury, Varsha was moved to center. Kevin Biggio entered the game. He went to second. Merrifield went to left. I wonder, is that you think that's the configuration you expect to see going forward. Biggio, generally speaking, has not played well, although he, of course, did hit the home run today. And we have seen this club go out of their way, certainly John Schneider, go out of their way to, you know, quote-unquote, reward players by letting them stick in the lineup. So I wouldn't be all that surprised tomorrow to see Merrifield and left, Varsho and center, Springer and right, and Biggio at second, if only because Biggio hit the home run today, basically as soon as he came into the game. So I wouldn't be surprised for tomorrow, but with a day off, I do kind of wonder if... On, on Monday, the day off, Tuesday, the series against the Brewers start back at Rogers Center. I kind of wonder if you might not. I mean, may, maybe Kiermaier is back by then for all we know, right? Yeah, but, that's true. We have no idea. But uh, let's say he does miss a couple of games. I wonder if there's another configuration that involves Nathan Lucas that you might like better. Yeah, I, I do think Biggio gets some playing time. I do think that there's a good possibility, too, that you have Merrifield play some second and Nathan Lucas go to the outfield. We saw Lucas get a start recently, and like you said, although Biggio does, I mean, he, he has two home runs in his in the last three games, so good, good for him that it, it's starting to get going at least a little bit. But, yeah, I think that there's definitely, you know, been enough of of a sample size out there from Biggio that they're at least going to try some other guys, and that could mean Ernie Clement as well. I think you have Biggio and Lucas working from the left side, if there's, if Kevin Kiermeyer's out and a lefty starter is out there, I wouldn't be shocked if Ernie Clement ends up getting the start at second base instead. And maybe it's Whit Merrifield in left. So I, I wouldn't be shocked. Like I, 
if there's a rotation, I don't really see a huge distinction between Biggio, Lucas, and Clement offensively right now. I think they're they're hoping for but not expecting a ton from any of them currently. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I, I, I feel like the guy, and he clearly has a long leash, the guy who has the longest leash out of any of those guys is Kevin Biggio, clearly. Although they barely were playing him before Santiago Espinal got hurt. They had started him once in a 10-game stretch. So would you? I think he's earned the longest leash even. Like, I know he hasn't played well, but Nathan Lucas has a handful of major league hits, and Ernie Clement just got called up. Like, Biggio does have some leash, but... I, I think he gets more playing time than Lucas and Clement comes in when lefties are in there, but I don't think Kevin Biggio plays every single day now. Yeah, you're probably right. And again, it, it, it's, it's, it's only, we're only talking about it in the first place because of injuries necessitating multiple, that, injuries. Yeah, multiple injuries, right? Cause the blue Jays, I think up until this point in the season had been relatively speaking lucky with injuries. Every ball club deals with injuries, over the course of 162, I mean, look at the Yankees, for yeah, example. Look at a, they are still in a way worse spot injury wise. Yeah, the Blue Jays. exactly. And so you look at the Blue Jays, and again, being relatively lucky, meaning that Simber had been really the only like Simber a pop, major, yeah, only a couple of major guys, and then now you have Simber working his way back. Pop still down there. I, I almost don't even count Chad Green because he was he was acquired in that state, basically. Yeah, a mid injury, yeah. kind of the same like Ryu. You entered the year with that exactly. Injury. Yeah, so you kind of knew about it going on. But of the guys you who were healthy when you started the year, Simber certainly going down for a little bit, even though he was back. He's back now. Pop, like you mentioned, Espinal, Jansen, and now Kiermaier. It does mount a little bit, and I think it does show the. I'm not going to go so far to say flawed roster construction, but it does show the holes that the lineup has certainly, certainly as far as the bench goes, right? Because you and I, I think I've gone on the record to say, and, and I, I still think this is true that we don't necessarily consider either Jansen or Kirk quote unquote bench players just because they're not really right. They, they both they, play they, enough. They both play a bunch, right? So not, neither of them are bench guys. So you're losing someone who is like a pseudo starter and Danny Jansen, but Espinal and, uh, and, and others are bench players, right? But with Espinal's injury, with Kiermaier down, it does show you the depth is lacking on this team. Yeah, I, I think it really, I think it's been shown in, in the starting pitching and the fact that let's say they wanted to put a starter, whoever it is, down to Buffalo. They don't really have the options right now. I, I think that the Buffalo Bisons have not been as much of a well of players to come up and play as maybe other teams have right now in triple a and I, and I haven't watched a ton of bison's baseball. I will put my hand up right now. So <laughs> right. it's more based off of numbers and stuff like that, but it's, they, they don't necessarily have a ton of guys that are coming up ready to play. I do really still wonder, you know, could they pull one or two other guys, but these, you know, the best player down there, Spencer Horwitz is a first baseman yeah. almost exclusively or the best player this year. Addison Barger has really struggled. He was year. injured too. Yeah. And yeah. he was injured. Aravis yeah. Martinez has struggled at double a, I think it's been getting better, but that's a long way from being a major leaguer to, yeah. to be struggling at double a. So yeah, I think that, you know, there appeared to be, you know, not a ton of replacements right now to come from Buffalo. And I think for the blue Jays, you know, they just said right back discomfort. Hopefully that means it's nothing too serious. And Kiermaier isn't an absolutely everyday player, not to mention they have a day off coming up. Maybe it's something who knows that that's by Tuesday. Maybe he's in a lineup that that is possible. Very possible. Yes. If not though, 
considering this, the team slump they're mired in too, not hitting wise, frankly, just wins and losses wise. It, it's not coming at a great time. No, it's, it's, it definitely, I think lays bare some of the, the roster configuration issues. The team does continue to have, which is why I think when you talk about like shopping lists at the trade deadline and the trade deadline is quite, quite a ways away. But when you talk about a shopping list thing, I, I, I wouldn't mind them still going out there. And even though the bullpen is something I, I as at the top of the list, I, I'm still on board with the uh, a bat perhaps still being prioritized as the second biggest need just to give the give the rest of the bats a bit of a not breather but just to make it a little easier on everyone and for some injury insurance purposes as well. Chris Bassett today, I wanted to get to with you because you and I talked a lot in the pregame show about how we were not all that concerned about Chris Bassett because he has not really given people a lot to be concerned about. I don't, I don't really know if it's really all that related to a Heinemann switch behind the plate because, because also Bassett calls his own pitches, right? He, he touches the pitch con device yeah. on his belt. So he is calling his own pitches to a certain, to a certain degree. I don't know how much that you can put on, on the catching combo really at all, but Having said that, nine hits, seven runs, all of them earned, five strikeouts, two walks, and then there were the two home runs in there. Of course, Willie Castro, which is the home run that went off of Varsho's glove, and then the Walner solo bomb just over the bullpen wall. But uh, I don't know. It's tough. It's it's a tough start from someone who I think we were starting to get comfortable calling our co-ace whenever you're watching them or calling him, you know, your... I don't know, like you're at the very, at the very least your second best pitcher, at least so far this year. And then you see what happens here. It is tough because before the Willie Castro home run, I thought to myself, maybe he should have just been taken out of this game because we have seen John Schneider pull the trigger when other guys don't have it. This would have been real early. You know, this is four innings and, and only four runs yeah. allowed. And yesterday with Kevin Gosman only going five and a third, I mean, they, they showed it. They didn't necessarily have the leverage options. I, I think, you know, it, it, in a way he's earned it. He's pitched quite well since his first start. We talked about that on the pregame show on 590. You know, the the, the home run is in, unfortunate. For what it's worth, Willie Castro hit that ball 103 miles an hour, 419 feet, and a 780 expected batting average. It would have been a home run easily at the Rogers Center. So it wasn't like... He got he got a little unlucky, but maybe not ridiculously unlucky on a what would have been, you know, a, a web gem, really, really great play from your second center fielder in Dalton Varsho. But he, I hesitate to to blame Heineman for anything too. He just left balls over the plate today. Yeah. I mean, it started right at the beginning of the game. Edward Julian scorching some doubles off of him. It just he was not his sharpest today, and I I think to an extent he has earned that with how well he's pitched. But I do think. You know, that last inning was really pivotal in the game. I, I, you know, if you get through five innings with four runs allowed and it's four, four, it's just such a different ball game than when it's seven to four. And then even if you were thinking about using some of the leverage guys, you're not going to now considering you used all of them yesterday and you would burn them for Sunday by doing that. So they have to go to the non leverage guys in the bullpen. A couple more runs are allowed and it really becomes an insurmountable kind of lead. I mean, they almost did it. Don't get me wrong. It's nothing's totally insurmountable, but it became pretty difficult. It just, it was not his best day. He fell behind a lot. He only had first pitch strikes on 14 to 24 guys through, you know, bit over 50% strikes, but he was just, he was not his best today. And I don't think you can expect everyone to be their best every day, but this was the first time I think in a while where it felt like the offense in a way did kind of do, I mean, it came late, mm -hmm. But they did kind of do enough to win, and it was 
let down mainly by the starting pitching, which hasn't happened a ton recently, despite the losing. Yeah, when you look at the play of the bullpen, I think it was fine, I suppose. Certainly when it comes to, I mean, Jimmy Garcia had let up another solo home run, yeah. and, and that was in, like, at the time, at the very least, it was in somewhat low leverage, right? Like, it almost felt yeah, like it was a, 8 to 4 at that point yeah, already. It, it kind of felt like the, the white flag had been four raised. Four innings to a from degree. the pen, two runs. It's not awful. I mean, it's no. not great, but it's it was four innings, seven runs for the starters, so it's not. But Anthony Bass came in, and he had two innings of, I, I would say, good relief work despite again despite the fact that it was relatively low leverage and you didn't get the amount of innings you wanted out of Chris Bassett but uh, we were having this conversation off the air but it's just the the with Bass looking better and again Garcia giving up a home run in low leverage and I think we're all in agreement that you know when it comes to the circle of trust I forget who it was who texted pardon me I'm forgetting your name but this is from a couple days ago but someone texting it to say Garcia is not even in the same room as a circle of trust. And I mean, it's hard to argue otherwise, but it, it's interesting to me because Mesa and Richards are almost in their own conversation in terms of how they are deployed. All, all, They're very, specialists. Very similar to Jordan Romano, who is also a specialist in the sense that he is the closer, right? But yeah. beyond him, Mesa is a very, is deployed in very specific pockets of batters. Lefties. And and Richards also is deployed when you need a little bit of length as well. Yeah. And we saw or lefty. He's kind or, of length or lefties. With the changeup and so on, right? So yeah. we've seen just the last time we saw Richards was certainly on, uh, I guess it was Thursday at this point. Yeah, when Manoa. full innings. Yeah, and Manoa only got three. got three out of Richards. He looked very good in those three innings as well. But... But if if that's how you're reserving the usage of Richards and Mesa, and maybe you're maybe at this point they're going to reserve Richards for a Kikuchi start as well if they need to, if his command issues continue to to be a, a problem. So if that's the case, you're, you're putting aside Mesa and Richards for now. You're putting aside Jordan Romano. I, I'd, I'd be hard pressed to say that Anthony Bass is not at this point above both Jimmy Garcia, frankly, and Adam Simber. Maybe Adam Simber works his way back into it because he's just coming off the IL. But, I mean, after after Pearson, after it goes it goes Swanson, Pearson, and then probably Anthony Bass at this point. Yeah, I, I, I would think so, especially with righties coming up. You know, it's kind of one of those things where I could see a, a close seventh inning. If it's lefties, maybe you're going to Tim Meza. And I, I think right now, if it's righties, you're going to Anthony Bass. He's made, Blake had mentioned before he came in, seven of eight scoreless appearances. Now it's eight of nine for Anthony's for Anthony Bass, whose ERA at one point was touching seven. Now it's at four and a half. He's someone who was incredibly effective for them last year, and he made a mechanical change recently where he was getting just a little bit more back over the rubber when he lifted his leg up before he was too far forward from the start, but he's getting back more straight up when he lifts his leg up and it's been working for him so far, whether that's the reason or not, I don't know. And sometimes a change can be as mental as it is physical, but he has been more effective. And they, at this point with a lack of righty leverage options, I mean, Nate Pearson, both of us definitely want him there more, but he's still relatively unproven. I do think they have to consider at least moving bass from low leverage to medium leverage going forward. Still some time to shoot us a call, 416 590 star 590 on your cell. A bunch of texts on the text line, Ben, 590-590, name and location. I'm going to combine a couple of these for you because I think a lot of these are along the same line here. This one's from, let's see, Alex in Toronto. I feel like changing up the order is not a great idea, but there's something that is is not working. Uh, since it wouldn't compromise giving up any at-bats for the top three with Springer finally heating up, could it be... Worth having Vladdy bat second so he's insulated with Bo behind him the way Teoscar Hernandez used to be. I think having Belt 
Chapman, Merrifield, one of them rotating through the four spot based on who is hot could also help keep the lineup moving. I see another one here from Will in Victoria. I think Schneider needs to move Vlad down in the order as a signal to develop a proper plate approach. They did it with Bo last season. Why should Vladimir Guerrero Jr. be any different? Awful situational hitting, an awful approach. Two mid-90s fastballs, center caught with a runner on third, less than two outs, and he strikes out. If it were once in a while, fine, but it's too commonplace to be an easy out, and Mike and Victoria, same deal. Something taboo, taboo to talk about. Maybe move Vladdy out of clutch spot with runners on base and game on the line till he turns it around. Is it about winning games or not hurting feelings? Top five hitters have one clutch hitter, and that guy is Boba Shatt. I'm going to say some stuff that people don't like. The numbers don't support those opinions whatsoever. The second best hitter by average on base and slugging percentage with runners in scoring position this year for the Blue Jays is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Do you want to move him, him and Bo and flip them? I mean, I, I I would agree with, I would say that Alex answered his own question a little bit at the top. I'd, I'm just not sure you're going to revolutionize an offense by flipping your two and three hitters. I, I think that, you know, then... Bo sees less good pitches because he has someone else behind him. And I do think they are the mentioning the rotating, the four, five, six. Mm-hmm. I mean, Brandon belts now hitting four. That wasn't a thing a while ago. So I do think that they are doing that to a certain extent. Uh, Vladdy, you know, is, is hitting, I would say slightly below expectation. He's still improved on last year. And I still think that the 2021 year really needs to be taken into context sometimes with the ballparks that they were playing in. They, you know, that they want more from him. People want more from him. I, I get that. I'm not saying that he is completely reaching everything that he can be, but he is betting 320 this year with runners in scoring position. Like he's largely been pretty good. And I actually think a lot of what's gone on with this offense in the last month. I mean, Vladdy's been mediocre, I would say in May, like 280s batting average, high 700s OPS. Matt Chapman's hitting below 200 with a 500s OPS in May. Dalton Varsho, I know he hit a home run today. They're really looking for a lot more offense out of him. Vladdy's medium scuffling, right. I would say. There right. are some people that have completely, and there are other guys like that have completely sure. not been a factor really in the offense recently. So I I don't see, like, if you want to flip them two and three, you can do that. I'm not sure it changes much, but I but maybe it does. I'm not saying that that isn't a, a, a bad idea. And if it's for the sake of mixing something up, maybe it is worth it. But to move... Brandon Belt, Matt Chapman, Whit Merrifield, any of those guys ahead of Vladdy, not, none of them to me, and I think numbers-wise too, but I test as well are hitting better or better with runners in scoring position than Vlad. I think the problem, and I, I, you're not wrong. You're definitely not wrong, but I, I understand what the texters are saying, Will and Alex and so on, because the expectations for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. are different than the expectations for Brandon Belt or Dalton Varshow or Matt Chapman, right? Like they, they just are right. Like the, when you, when you talk about the best players on this team, the, the players that are supposed to be generational talents. And I think we overuse those terms, frankly, but because yeah, there are probably like 40 guys that are called generational. Yeah, talents it, right maybe, <laughs> if that, maybe, right. If that yeah. even, right. So, but you're right. Like there, there are not a lot of guys to whom that term applies. Oh no, I'm we, saying too many people like, they call way too many oh, guys generational. Yes. You okay, know, each so, team's got two generational talents. Right. Them or then like agreed. That. Yes. We, we overuse <laughs> the term far, far too much. And I, I'm, I think I'm, I might be there when it comes to Bo Bichette because we have seen him take the bad with the good, especially when you go back to his mega slump last year, prior to let's say August of 2022. And then he turned around and was like, 
a walking supernova for the rest of the season and has seemingly carried that approach and, the, and his entire method of preparation into this season, which is why he's been the team's most consistent player. And we saw it again today with Laddie. I'm, and I'm not saying he's not preparing or is not working hard or whatever, but I think because the expectation is that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is an elite player instead of just a very good player when you see him do what he's doing and he expands the zone and he at the plate discipline perhaps doesn't seem to be all there or it's it feels like the as Barker sometimes says the book is out on Vladdy so people know how to pitch to him down and away and he seems to swing a lot of the, the pitches that are down and away instead of where whereas in 2021 when he was almost the AL MVP he wasn't doing that as much I think that is in my opinion the source of everyone's frustration with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. because it, you know or at least you think he can be much better. Like, Mike, here's my question, Ben. It, if it turns out that Vladdy is not an elite player, and it turns out, because I think we all hope he's like Miguel Cabrera or something, right? Yeah, which and, is, which that's be, a generational talent. Yes, yeah, Miguel Cabrera <laughs> has a bust made for him already in the like Hall a, of Fame. One of the greatest right-handed hitters ever. Right, so I think you're, you're, you hope for that in the, in the pie-in-the-sky version. But if, you know, if, if it turns out that Vladdy is somewhere in between, and again, I hope I'm wrong about this. But if he's somewhere in between, I don't know, Edwin Encarnacion and Adrian Beltre, is that good? I don't know. I, I, if he's midway through those two guys, is that good enough for what you project him to be? I mean, for what you project him to be, no, because people project him to be Miguel Cabrera. Right. Uh, you know, but I, I don't think it's awful. I, I, hear, I hear you texting and yelling at me on your radio right now. I don't think it's awful. I mean, those are, you know, fringe or like Adrian Beltre is like on the fringes of, you know, Hall of Fame discussion. And Edwin Encarnacion is one of the best power hitters of an entire decade of baseball, which is pretty good. It's, it's difficult. I mean, I, I understand why people are frustrated because of the expectations versus the production. I will say hitting better than your expectations is not how you knock in runners in scoring position, hitting 320 with runners in scoring position. You know, Brandon belt might be exceeding expectations in ways because he's got a high to mid 700s OPS. That doesn't change that. He's hitting 233 with runners in scoring position. And, and even if he's ahead of his expectations, if his numbers are worse than Vladdy's, if his production is worse, he shouldn't move up, but it, it's a tricky conversation. And I really also, and I, again, I'm about to hear you yelling at me. He is 24. And if you, if you wipe 2021 away, which is a season with some very interesting factors involved, he has improved every single year. There are certainly some things to worry about, you know, to a certain extent, if the book on him is that if you place a a slider really perfectly an inch off the outside corner that you're going to get it. I mean, a lot of guys want to do that and, and can't most of the time, but I, I think that it's understandable to be frustrated. However, he's still clearly one of the better hitters on this team and has been one of the more productive hitters on this team. And any move of him out of the top three to me just doesn't make any sense. Frankly, I I just don't see how you could move clearly one of your top three hitters out of the top three spots and expect more offense. Yeah, well, especially with the with the again, and this goes back to roster construction because you're right in that are you really going to move any of Belt Merrifield Chapman above the way they've been playing above Laddie? And I I agree like, I would, yeah. that I, that's not a great idea. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, frankly. I agree. I 
you know. But uh, yeah, it's it's tough. It's I, I I do. That's why I understand the frustration totally with, with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Right? Because you expect, expectations you expect, are a tough thing. <laughs> yeah, you expect so much more from him. Like you expect him to hit closer to Aaron Judge and Shohei Otani and Mike Trout than you do to hit closer to. And again, like you're saying, the statistics do bear out that he is playing well. Yeah. But I think you expect him to play great and Bo Bichette is playing great right now yeah. and when you only have one guy who's doing that who is who has actually struggled and turned it around that's where I think it uh it gets a little tough to to digest seeing it especially in late and close situations like we saw uh earlier this afternoon uh before we take a quick break let's play a quick piece of audio I did mention I wanted to hear from John Schneider as to what was going on with Kevin Kiermeyer. he did finish speaking to the media here's Schneider on Kiermeyer's injury just yeah, just kind of tightened up on him a little bit on that throw. Um, just right lower back discomfort basically, and um, wanted to stay in and hit. And and um, you know at, at this point, you know with Kev and how important he is to us, it's uh, you know wanted to be safe and make sure he didn't make anything worse. We'll see how he is tomorrow. Um, you know, got some treatment and he'll continue to do that and just take it day by day. That is John Schneider talking about Kevin Kiermaier. It doesn't sound overtly serious i would think like maybe yeah. it was a precautionary thing there was no like hey we're gonna go get scans yes exactly yeah so because of that perhaps it does mean that with maybe he just you won't see him tomorrow more than likely and then a day off they fly back to toronto maybe you see him either to start the brewer series or perhaps a little later on but i don't i again it could be wrong because you never know what some of these you only things take sometimes. so much from media exactly yeah. <laughs> like maybe, maybe they maybe he does go for a scan they find something else but Overall, that did not sound like a manager who is uh, about to put his starting center fielder on the IL. No, and that that would be massive for the Blue Jays if they can avoid an IL stint, avoid looking for someone else, avoid at l- over a week without Kevin Kiermaier. Uh, that is Ben Shulman. I'm Show Ali. Let's take a very quick break. When we come back, we will uh, get to your texts about Brandon Belt. I see a lot of Brandon Belt texts here, so we'll uh, get to those Belt texts and uh, finish wrapping up on the Standings Watch presented by Bet365 as well. We'll be back in a flash. You're listening to Jay's Talk Show and Ben on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I, th- I just think he really didn't have his, his good stuff today, and it's, uh, you know, it's just walk hit by pitch, you know, things like that, come back and get you. But, you know, he's usually pretty good even after a, a pretty, you know, high pitch count to kind of regather himself. And, you know, credit to them for uh, stringing some hits together and, um, and some home runs as well. That is John Schneider discussing the start from Chris Bassett. Again, doesn't he? I'm sure he doesn't sound overly concerned because Chris Bassett has, by and large, been very good. But again, uh, seven earned runs today, nine hits, two walks, and some of those including two home runs from Willie Castro and Matt Walner. Not a great start from Chris no, Bassett. Someone not, you you've grown accustomed to seeing good starts from. Yeah, not really giving the team much of a chance to win in that one, even with a little bit of bad luck. It it was it was his worst since his opener. That has been Shulman. I'm Show Ali. Welcome back to Jay's Talk here for another 10 minutes or so as we wrap up the 9-7 Blue Jays loss at the hands of the Twins. They did make it close late, but they did lose this one, which means it sets up the rubber match tomorrow for the Blue Jays and Twins at Target Field. Uh, before we get back to the text line, and still some time, just shoot us a call if you want, 416-870-0590, 590 star 590 on your cell. 590-590 is the text line. We'll get to those in a sec. Uh, but now time for the Major League Standings Watch presented by Bet365. Download the Bet365 app and check out the latest odds for today's baseball games. 19-plus, play responsibly. 
Ontario only. The Rays are playing right now. They're facing off against the Dodgers. The Baltimore Orioles are playing right now as well. They're playing the Rangers. The Yankees did escape the Bronx with a win today, a walk-off win, courtesy of Isaiah Kaner-Falefa. He had the uh, winning RBI single. What Yankees win 3-2. And the Boston Red Sox play a little later on tonight. It goes in about an hour and a half. So because of that, and I'm going to say entering play with these records for the Rays and the Orioles because those games are ongoing. And the loss by the Blue Jays today. Here's how the ALE standings shake out. Rays 38 and 15. The Orioles are 33 and 18. The Yankees after the win are 31 and 23. Before entering play today, Boston is 27 and 24. Uh, and the loss to the Blue Jays means they are 27 and 26. So again, a, a tough schedule, but you hope they can at least right the ship in the rubber match tomorrow, Ben. Yeah. And that parallel universe where they made a central division all those years back and, and Toronto <laughs> slipped in there. Oh, what a world. What a what world. A world. <laughs> well, who's, I, I guess, I guess if Detroit, that was the case, yeah, Detroit, kinda, you're, yeah. you're swapping I mean, the Tigers. Sense. Detroit is more West than Toronto. So it absolutely geographically makes sense, but <laughs> Hey, you know, would would be a game back or half game back of these twins for the division lead in the central. It's uh it ain't easy being East. That is the uh, Major League Standings Watch presented by Bet365. All right, let's get to these belt texts here because there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, Mark from Mississauga, I am so upset with Brandon Belt. He is a veteran who hits a high pop-up and then he decides that he's not interested in running hard. And then when the outfielder drops that, he decides he wants to take the extra base. In my opinion, he made that decision from the moment he left the batter's box if you're a hustling kind of guy like Kiermaier or Merrifield, then you deserve to take that extra base if the situation arises, but you can't dawdle out of the box and then you decide you want to make something happen, especially if you're a slow runner. What is wrong with the veterans on this team? Karen, Toronto, how many times has Belt been an out on a third strike looking call, which is how the game ended, of course. Uh, and then Colin Woodstock, kind of also, like it's not really about Belt specifically, but he says, hey guys, our bench has been an issue all year, and Belt was not on the bench today, of course, he was a starting player, but the I'd struggle... i call him a starter at this point. I think he honest, probably yeah. is. I think he, I think you're right. He probably, certainly more than like, I mean, Espinal is, on the, is, is, is not playing right now, right? And, and Biggio got in because he is a bench player, but yeah. I think if you're talking about those three, Belt is clearly above, head yeah. and shoulders above them, but Kyle says, the struggle I have is that I've been watching the waiver wire. I don't even see anyone I'd rather have than the guys we do. Have there been any recent waiver players you think the Jays should have grabbed? Honestly, no. Like, <laughs> uh, I'll let you know a secret about why a guy goes to waivers. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. not because he's hitting 280 with a with an 800 OPS. So yeah, it's not it's not easy. Um, but the belt thing that is uh, it's tough. Not great, right? Like he like no. he like he's saying the I, sharp hit in the sixth. He jogs out of the box and yeah. then speeds up. Bad base running there again. I mean, it's bad yeah. base running. And then also on top of that, he's just not the most fleet of foot, well, even if he ever I was. was I right? would really <laughs> slow down on the taking an extra base comparison <laughs> right. to Kevin Kiermaier. We're talking about like 91st sprint, percentile sprint speed in Kevin Kiermaier versus, you know, like the second slowest player probably on the entire Blue Jays and Brandon Belt. I, I don't think it was effort based. He's 35 years old and thought that he hit a fly out. I'm not saying he did nothing wrong. I mean, it's it would be much better if it was a little more pep in your step, or at least if you don't, don't try and make the turn to second base. So don't get me wrong there, but I don't think it, it's that Brandon Belt doesn't care. I think a 35-year-old with some serious lower body injuries shouldn't sprint out every single play. This is not kids playing Little League. This is a lot more strain on your body when you do stuff like that. But yeah, it's not it's not a good play. I Overall, I mean, I don't think they're looking to waiver replace Brandon Belt. He's hitting 350 in May with a 980 OPS 
And even if you count his awful first month of the season against righties this year, he's hitting 280 with an above 800 OPS. I think he has, he, he didn't make a good play there. Don't get me wrong. He strikes out a lot, but he has delivered, I would say, on what they want him to do so far. Yeah, I would probably He made a bad, bad, bad play today, though. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, not, yeah. not apologizing for that, but just in the terms of looking on a waiver wire or something like that, I don't think that, that yeah. he is the guy necessarily that they would try and replace <laughs> on the waiver wire. I think both of the middle infielders that you mentioned, again, I don't, I'm not saying that they are trying to replace them, but you wouldn't take your guy out who has a near 800 OPS when you have two 500 OPSs on your bench. What are you, what are you doing about Dalton Varsho? Because I know he had a home run today, and I think that was, I think that was relatively important even even if it's just for his own confidence, it's probably important. And it was a uh, it was a great piece of hitting. Great for him that he jumped on that pitch. Jorge Lopez was was really struggling as well. So good that he managed to take advantage of it as well. But you know beyond that, and I'm not I'm not even going to go back to the 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 snafus in center field after Kiermaier went out because I also think if even if Kiermaier had been in there, you know Kiermaier probably makes the play on the on the Willie Castro home run, which which probably would have been a long double had it not gone off of Varsho's glove. But I think Kiermaier makes that catch. I'm not sure Kiermaier makes the catch on the Walner home run. They know they, the yeah. replay showed Varsho's glove going over the fence and he almost made the catch. But that still was a the tough first play. one is a running, turning, sprinting, jumping catch. Yeah. Like it's not an expected play to make for most people. It's it's not an easy, it's it's not an easy play. Don't get yeah. me wrong. But I but what what do you do, I wonder with Dalton Varsho, because he, he, I think like a large part of what made it so attractive was the years of controllability with Varsho when the, when the deal was made. And like we said before, Blair and Barker have said this a million times. It's just, you know, the, well, I think the jury is still out on whatever Gabriel Moreno is, even if he has gotten off to a terrific start to the year. And Lourdes Gurriel Jr., we have seen in a Blue Jays uniform get volcanically hot and then cool off after a period of time. Oh, so it happened we, so many times we, last year. <laughs> we don't have to necessarily relitigate that trade, but I do think with Varsha struggling, and again, the home run's important for him, but like, what do you do? Like you can't, he, you know what I mean? You can't, he That's can't, it's, it's a tough look for not, him to go up there so often and do what he's doing at the plate. Yeah. It's, it's unfortunate. I don't think there's much you can do, especially in the immediate future. Absolutely nothing to be clear. I mean, Kevin Kiermeyer might not play tomorrow. So he's certainly your center fielder. If Kevin Kiermeyer is not playing, in you know, in the long term, they have slid him all the way down to the seven spot. There's not much further they can go, and they want Kiermaier in the nine hole. So I don't think he goes beyond seven to try and break up those lefties. Actually, ended up hurting them today because they had them seven eight. And even when Biggio came in, Emilio Pagan had a really favorable kind of two guys to go after. But to a certain extent, I think they have to ride the wave a little bit. They they didn't like to be clear, they did not get him to be as good of a hitter as Lourdes Coriel. He is a significantly better defender. Like, there's no question about that. I know today isn't the best day to be talking about that. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, again, that was a homer in 25 or 30 ballparks. The other one was absolutely a homer. And the other 40-something games this year have shown that he's, or 50-something games, he's a good defender. I think it, it's tough. He's getting beaten by high fastballs consistently yeah. this season. He had an incredibly strong year last year. And after, you know, your first year of major success – teams are going to start to poke and, and find, try to find holes in you, try harder than they were before because all of a sudden you go from an unknown to a known. I, I think some of that stuff's happening with a guy like Alec Manoa too coming off his first full successful season. I, I think that they ha have to keep him in the lineup. Like, again, kind of similar to the discussion we had with Vladdy, you know, is playing Nathan Lucas every day what, what you're going to do? No, Again, no offense, but it's a very different caliber of player we're talking about here. A guy defensively replacing versus 
you know, Dalton Varsho, who last year was an incredibly valuable player for the Diamondbacks. So you have to, I think, ride the wave a little bit and, and, and do a lot of pitching machine work with the high fastball and see if he can start getting to it a little more easily, like he did today on the home run. Uh, before we go, we have a couple minutes left here. Real quick, you had said this to me during the game, but I wanted to get your take on okay. this. Your your thoughts on Alejandro Kirk entering this game late? He did oh, he, he did end yeah. up getting a second plate appearance, and he he got on base. So good, good for Kirk. But I was surprised, and I'm not sure I really. Uh, approved necessarily no. of putting Kirk in, especially after he's played so much. And then you would think he's going to play again tomorrow behind the plate for the entire game. Yeah. I mean, it actually ended up looking better, I think because they had that rally that he contributed to in the ninth, but yeah, I was not a big fan of that move. It's seven to four. You are trying to build in rest days for your clear starting catcher right now, because Danny Jansen is on the IL. So certainly out for the next couple of days. Kirk is going to have to catch lots of games in a row. Yeah. He had just caught three games in a row and day game after night game. Why you didn't start him to bring him in in a seven, four game with nobody on base felt a little confusing to me. Yeah. We'll have to see what Kirk's look. Kirk looks like tomorrow when he will undoubtedly, you would think catch for Jose Barrios. I'd be but shocked if he did. Yeah. Same, same here. Thank you for listening to blue Jays baseball brought to you by crown rust protection. Did you know that vehicles rust faster in warmer weather as the weather warms and we all get ready for summer? Make sure your vehicle is protected from rust with Crown. Visit crown.com for your nearest location. For Ben Shulman, always fun doing Jay's Talk with him. Ben Wagner, Blake Murphy, Tom Young, Nick Blackmore. I'm Show Ali. Thanks for being with us on Jay's Talk. Jay's dropped the second game of the series, 9-7 against the Twins. The rubber match goes tomorrow with Jose Barrios on the mound. Ben and I are back as well to wrap up the weekend of Blue Jays baseball. We will talk to you then.